Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've decided to join us today. It is Giving Tuesday here at WDET, and we are coming to you asking you to give to WDET on Giving Tuesday. Think of all the ways in which this station and the content here really shapes your life, really keeps you informed, keeps you entertained, keeps you engaged in our community. All of that costs money to keep on the air. And so a few times a year, we come to you and say, hey, support this. Make sure it all stays intact. Make sure we can continue to bring you all of these great things. But it's not just me. Uh, I've also got Nick Austin here with me today. He is a producer here on WDET, host of Soul Saturday on WDET on Saturdays, and a co-host on uh, Detroit Today. Nick, welcome to the studio. Hey, it's great to be here. I don't know if that means that it's twice as bad if I'm here for the three hours also, <laughs> or if I can like balance you out so we get back to a neutral. I'll let the ad- I always worry, like, are you just, are, am I just around too much? And are people like, yeah. I can tell you from, from speaking else. to the people, no, you are not. They love you. So you I just keep so. on trucking. I hope so. So one of the things we want to do today, in addition to talking to you consistently about WDET and the work that we do here and why it's so important to this community and to you and why your support is so important to us is we want to kind of wrap this in a theme uh, about what goes on in our city and how we think about those things from the chairs here in the show, the host chair that I sit in, uh, the producer chairs that uh, Nick and Sam Corey uh, and our uh, producing assistant Maddie Boyer sit in, thinking about all of the things that go on. And one of the consistent themes in the city of Detroit, the most consistent theme perhaps in my life, is development. The, the things that we, uh, that we change in the city of Detroit, the things that have changed over the 40 some years that I have uh, that I've lived here and we want to talk about uh, the, the way that we've kind of framed those things this year on the show lots and lots of topics that we have made the centerpiece of, of Detroit today uh, during the first 11 months at least of, of, uh, of 2023 and of course it won't change much in December but I wanted to start with something that I was watching Nick over the weekend, over the holiday weekend, there's this really wonderful uh, Detroit Public Television documentary about Hutton's, uh, the the old department store that, of course, was at the, the sort of foot of Woodward in, in downtown Detroit. Uh, and it really chronicled all of the ways that Hudson's changed while it existed here in Detroit, but also the change that happened to Detroit when Hudson's went away, which was a really dramatic moment in the, in the city's history and in my life. I was about 10 years old uh, when they announced that they were leaving. And I can remember the look of worry that my mom had on her face when she told me that, that Hudson's was closing and that uh, the, the suburban stores that they had already opened at the malls were going to be the only place we had uh, to access them. It, it reminded me that, that again, this is a theme that, that threads through <clears throat> most people's lives here in Detroit is, is, is that change and development or undevelopment as that was in some ways uh, is a constant. It, it's not, it's not uh, insignificant, I think, that as we talk about this today, uh, on the Hudson site downtown, we've got a, a really interesting project taking shape. Whether you're in favor of that project or against that project, whether you like the subsidies for that project or you don't like the subsidies for that project, I think it's symbolic of the way in which we rethink Detroit over and over again and 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 grapple with the things that change uh, that change in our lives. And so I think this is a really appropriate theme for for Giving Tuesday, for celebrating WDET and the coverage that we offer of those things, not just here on Detroit Today, but of course all the news coverage uh, that we have as well. This is our lives in Detroit, development and change. Yeah, you know, and that's something that we hear from you also when we have these shows. I mean, we can tell, especially talk about development that's happening in the city. We get the 
calls, we get the interaction, and we also have the pleasure of bringing in the people who are making a lot of that change happen. We know that's valuable for you. That's why for Giving Tuesday, the way to make that gift of support is 800-959-9338 or going online to WDET.org. Right now, we've got a wonderful gift for those of you who come in at that $20 a month level. Not only are we matching that dollar for dollar to get you to $40 a month, you spend 20 but it makes $40 a month of difference for the station. You would get the New York Times subscription as a thank you for that. Stephen, we're going to touch on the New York Times a little bit later in the show. But as you mentioned so wonderfully, the importance of development, one of those projects we always hear about going back 20 years, it's the riverfront. It is the thing that gets people so excited and so together, public, private sector, suburb, city, everyone comes together for the riverfront. And last month marked the grand opening of the Uniroyal Promenade on Detroit's riverfront. Visitors can now walk or bike three and a half miles yep. along the river, uninterrupted. Detroit Riverfront Conservancy President and CEO Mark Wallace joined us on Detroit Today to tell us what he believes the completion of the project means for the city. Uh, in 2003, the Detroit Riverfront Conservancy was launched. The vision was always to connect from the Joe Louis Arena site to the Belle Isle Bridge. That vision expanded to the bridge-to-bridge concept that you mentioned, but that idea of building a system of parks and trails and allowing the public to interact with this beautiful natural resource that we have was really strong. I was doing a little bit of news before the opening, and one of the reporters came out there, and I said, well, this was historically one of the most contaminated sites in the in the country. And she said, well, what do you mean contaminated? <laughs> yeah, even in her memory as a new reporter to yeah. town, she, she that's part of the story had not stuck. So mm-hmm. that transformation of the narrative and the transformation of the function, both of those things are happening at the same time. These projects are changing the way we think about ourselves as a community, but they're also changing the patterns of behavior. And it's exciting to be able to do both of those at the same time. Yeah, it is very exciting. And it's one of those things that we think about, again, the progress we've seen for 20 years on the riverfront. I can't think of something that we talk about that gets people more excited, Steve. Well, and it gets it gets me excited. I mean, again, I grew up here in Detroit. I grew up in the 1970s and the 1980s and for a long time lived in a community that was adjacent to the riverfront, and it meant something so different when I was a kid than it does now. I mean, you just never went to the riverfront. There was no public access to it. It was industrial. It was dirty. In some places, it was dangerous. Uh, This idea that my children, who grew up in Detroit in uh, the late uh, 2000s and and the 20 teens, had a completely different experience with the riverfront is is exactly what I'm talking about, that, that consistent theme of change. If you ask my children about the riverfront, they will talk about uh, the fountain out in front of the Rensen. When they were little kids, we used to put them in swimsuits and let them run through the fountain. You know, I, I heard the other day that uh, GM actually didn't want people doing that. <laughs> that, mm. that was I was breaking the rules by taking my kids down there and let them play in, the, in that fountain. Um, uh, my kids will talk about sledding uh, on the riverfront. There was a hill for a while uh, before they built part of uh, the, the, the riverfront that you could go up and, and, and down and, and sled. That's one of the only experiences or the first experiences they had with sledding yeah. was on the riverfront. That's the absolute opposite of what I experienced here in Detroit. In the riverfront, uh, you know, the effort to get all of that done was this gargantuan collective uh, will and fundraising and, and negotiating that, that took 20 years. It took us 20 years to get to this space where you can ride your bike from Belle Isle yeah. all the way down to the Ambassador Bridge. It, it is really impressive. Also impressive, the people coming in with support. I just want to take a moment to thank you and Ann Arbor, Mark in Royal Oak, as well as Deborah in Ann Arbor for making their gifts of support. Deborah especially says, I appreciate your expertise. Thank you for your excellent journalism and music. Who's well, she talking to? She, well, I... <laughs> Is she talking to me? I mean, she knows he played tuba back in the day, Stephen. She's probably heard that U of M marching band. But one of the things that you you mentioned there is the ability for the public to have access to the river. But that's something that people get a little concerned about as we talk about lack of private development. Can we have more private development? But of course, when private development comes, that means people might get pushed out. So where is the balance? How do we balance... uh, private or public access versus private donations mar- or private development. Mark Wallace, president and CEO of the Detroit Riverfront Conservancy, addressed that as well. 
The Riverwalk project has stimulated $2 billion worth of economic investment, public and private. That's pretty remarkable. It is. It's throwing off about $16 million worth of net new taxes. So there are firefighters and police all over the city who are getting their, their paychecks paid by taxes that are coming off of the Riverwalk. But you're right. If you look at the riverfront, there's probably 100 buildings that are underutilized and maybe 75 acres of space that could be built upon and could be redeveloped. I think the 20 years of public access and the focus on the people and not on the development has really changed the narrative here in Detroit. If I talk to colleagues around the country who are doing this type of public project, what they're worried about is the development. They're worried that they built a park for the community and the private development has made the community feel unwelcome. It kind of pushed them out. Yeah, and that's actually a narrative that we don't have here in Detroit. The fact that we've had 15 <laughs> years where it's literally just families, just grandparents, just kids, I think has locked this in as a community asset. And I think the community will have this ferocious uh, dedication and this ferocious love um, that's going to keep this uh, a place that, that is used by the community, even as we see new development come. Again, Mark Wallace, President and CEO of the Detroit Riverfront Conservancy. Stephen, you've been around. You've seen different waterfronts. What do you think about that idea? You know, the idea that it is public is the difference here in, in Detroit. I mean, if you go to other cities, there are lots of cities with, with wonderful riverfronts and or, or lakefronts, and they don't emphasize that public access as much as, as we do. Uh, I, I spent a long time in my career living in, in Baltimore, uh, which is a really wonderful city as well. Uh, the the number of places that you can just publicly access their waterfront uh, is minuscule compared to what's going on in Detroit. At the same time, they have way more development along their waterfront than they, than we do. I mean, the the level of other investment, uh, retail, residential. Uh, other commercial academic uh, investment along their waterfront it just puts us to shame and that, and and that balance i think is is what we were trying to to talk to mark wallace a little about is you know can we get going with some of that development here in detroit along the waterfront as well because that will uh, have an effect on the rest of the city, uh, in addition to, to to the waterfront itself. Um, but but you know, Mark made this point in that conversation. He said it really matters that it developed this way in Detroit because so many people uh, are so skeptical of development in in and how inclusive it will be. Uh, are you developing something to keep me out of it? Is a question I think a lot of Detroiters end up asking. Uh, when we see these kind of projects, no one can ask that question about about this riverfront. I mean, I, I can remember 10 or 15 years ago when we were kind of halfway through this process, there was this real concern among Detroiters about what was being done and whether they would be included. I don't think anybody asked those questions really anymore. I, I, you go down to the riverfront, you see everybody down there. Everybody uh, from the city is is welcome. Everyone from the suburbs is welcome. They are often uh, doing things together, mixing up uh, in, in a way that you don't see in other in other places. It's it's an incredible triumph of uh, the community will here, not just to make something better, but again to make it better for everyone. Yeah, and another triumph of the community will is WDET because it's member supported radio. It's public radio. It's you guys out there who allow us to have these conversations, this deep insight into what's happening at the riverfront, letting you know what's going on there, helping to make sure it retains that public access. And the only way we do it is through your gifts of support. That's why on Giving Tuesday, we're asking you for that support for the station you love, for the conversations you love. They don't happen without you. The way you get involved is by making a call, 313, or... Don't do that. 800 959 9338. Call that number you too. Call we'll that take your money too. anyway. <laughs> or you could go online to WDET.org. You know, New York Times subscription, Stephen, we're giving out at the $20 a month level. And we have a conversation that's centered around an article about Detroit that happened in the New York Times. To be a part of that, you would want that subscription. $20 a month, a great way to be a part Absolutely. of it. Absolutely. I mean, I first need to say that, that you know, the New York Times is a primary source of uh, information for this show. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time perusing uh, the website. I was going to say newspaper. I don't mm -hmm. actually get a paper paper anymore. <laughs> I do look at it uh, digitally. Uh, but I look through it all the time. 
for for topics for our show, for things that I think Detroiters would be interested in that are in the paper of record for for our country. And uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, I, I came across an article on a Sunday, and the Sunday Times is, of course, one of my great indulgences, um, uh, that was about the land value tax proposal here in Detroit. It was specifically about this this idea of changing the way we tax property in Detroit to make sure that uh, people are paying their fair share, uh, you know, speculators, people holding lots of land, but also trying to give homeowners, people like me who live in the city and pay a lot of taxes, just a little break. Uh, the, the, the Times wrote about uh, this tension between uh, this idea of this land value tax, which which would uh, make it harder for for some people to hold on to land, and uh, th- the idea that uh, that homeowners would get would get a break. Uh, we talked with Nick Allen, who used to work for the Detroit Economic Growth Corporation here in Detroit and has now left. But he was the person who put the idea for this land value tax in the mayor, Mike Duggan's ear. Uh, we wanted to know why he thought it was such a good idea and where he came up with uh, with this uh, this proposal. I think the most important thing that a land value tax is doing is it's dealing with a reason that investment is scarce in Detroit. And that's Detroit's very high property taxes Mm -hmm. relative to other places in the region. So Detroit should be doing everything it can to reward building and repairs and neighborhood upkeep. Um, It should be rewarding people for keeping their community intact. uh, And people should benefit when they when they make those kinds of decisions. If I look at the reasons that housing has declined in Detroit for a really long time, a lot of that is about regional dynamics in in Michigan, right? I think 3,500 new housing units are being built at the edge of the Detroit region every year, and 3,000 older units are being taken down in Detroit. So We need to look at the push and pull factors with that. What this is dealing with is one of the push factors that's pushing housing out of the city into other places. And that conversation with Nick Allen, who is a a real expert on development and urban development in particular, is exactly the kind of thing that makes, I think, Detroit today stand out, right? We took a, a story from a national publication that was about Detroit, got the people in the, in the story to, to talk to us about it, to, to explain how, not just how things work here in Detroit, but how what we're doing here fits in to that national picture, fits into a national conversation. You can't get that everywhere on the dial. Uh, there isn't a, an opportunity to have those kind of conversations in lots of places. And that's why Detroit Today and WDET are so important, so worth your support uh, on Giving Tuesday, the idea of preserving that space for us to talk about these things uh, at that high level. Now, look, it's nerdy stuff. I know. Uh, <laughs> I say something like land value tax. It doesn't get people all worked up, I'm sure. Uh, but it's important to understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. And that's what we're out. That's what we're about here uh, on the show. That's what we're trying to achieve. And uh, your support is what makes it possible. Yeah. And we can't do it without you. And the way that you make that gift of support, again, is by going online, wdet.org slash give. You can call 800-959-9338. It takes just two minutes, but makes a big impact. We're matching every dollar that you give uh, during this show. And Stephen, when we return for more Detroit Today, I know that there was a discussion that you had with Nick. There was a specific question that you wanted to get answered, and he addressed, again, only possible because of this. We're going to listen to that as well as hear from Anika Goss about what's happening in the Detroit housing market. Some good news as well as some places we can improve when we return on Detroit Today. We're back with more Detroit Today on 1019 WDET on Giving Tuesday when we are asking you to give to WDET to keep all this great programming that we prepare for you every day on the air. Uh, I've got Nick Austin in the studio with me. He's a producer here on Detroit Today, host of Soul Saturday on Saturdays on WDET and a co-host here on Detroit Today. Hey, Nick. Hey, Stephen. It's so great to be here with you because you say people might get that excited about taxes, but I disagree (laughs) because as a producer, I answer the phones. I see the calls. I 
see, you know, sometimes people they can get heated, especially when you talk about their home and property taxes. It's something that we're dealing with here in Detroit. And on Giving Tuesday, as we give back some of our best conversations, one of the reasons I love this conversation that you had with Nick Allen, one of the masterminds, the one who put it in the mayor's ear to even think of a land value tax, taxing land at a different rate than the improvements on top of it, was how could a solution in the New York Times article, they said we should use this in California. How could that also work in Detroit with two vastly different markets, right? You say there's a supply problem. There's not enough supply of homes in California. There's too many homes in Detroit where Nick Allen had an answer for you. Let's see if it was something <laughs> that you thought uh, satisfied your uh, satiation <laughs> desire. What we show is that in general, places that implement land value taxes see values rise. It contradicts what I hear from residents about property taxes and the way that they impact neighborhoods. But it is, I think, an imaginable worst case that this actually does nothing at all. So when you talk about that worst case, it's not that bad because a land value tax is kind of a self-adjusting tax. So for me, that scenario doesn't scare me very much from a mm -hmm. fiscal standpoint. Mm -hmm. And I also don't think it's realistic to expect that lots of people would walk away from land in this environment. Except that they already have, right? I mean, that's why there's so much land in the land bank. Well, so the land bank is really at the end of the abandonment pipeline. It's a process in which housing gets disinvested over time because it's difficult to reinvest in that parcel. It ends up in public ownership. The land bank is the owner of last resort. So I think the really important thing to do with a proposal like this is to get to the front of that abandonment pipeline to reduce the cost of owning housing, of keeping housing up, maintaining neighborhoods in good repair. I also think it's important to get to the other side and make it more attractive to put properties in the land bank back to active use. But I think dealing with those sides of the land bank rather than focusing on the current inventory is the most important way to reduce that inventory over time. Again, Nick Allen talking about why he proposed the land value tax, why he thinks it's a good idea for Detroit. Stephen, were you satisfied with his response? I mean, look, Nick is an expert on this stuff. I'm not. And that's why we had him on. That's why I asked him the question. I, I think he answered it not just fully, uh, but 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 substantively. I mean, he, he, he absolutely... Uh, you know, push back against uh, my my theory that that the number of unwanted parcels in Detroit now would confound uh, the idea of this land value tax having the kind of effect that we that we wanted to have. I am still worried about it. Mm. I, I, I've got to say that that I think uh, if if I were a speculator holding on to a lot of land in Detroit, and all of a sudden you raised. The taxes on that uh, on that on those parcels. I'm not sure that what that would lead me to is uh, the decision to put that land into more productive use. I still think there are still tremendous barriers to that in Detroit that aren't addressed by the land value tax. And I worry that what people will do is just give up their property. They will say, "I'm not going to pay," and then that property will end up in mm -hmm. the land bank uh, where it pays no taxes. Uh, but, but again, Nick Allen is, is much more studied on this subject than I am. I mean, he, he understands it better than I do. He says that won't happen. He thinks this will get those properties into productive use. Of course, we both want that to be, to be true. And of course the mayor does, and that's why he's, he's doing it. We'll, we'll have to see if, if this gets proposed, if this gets through the legislature uh, and Detroiters adopt it, uh, we'll see what effect it has. Yeah. And, you know, again, we're talking about housing right now, home housing. I mean, it's very important to all of us. And one of the things you mentioned there is uh, the ability to get access to uh, move-in ready homes, access to market housing. We actually received some good news earlier this year. We were joined by Anika Goss, who we love having on the show, CEO of Detroit's Future City, a local think tank. She discussed why there is actually some good news for home sales in Detroit. The one thing that I'm really most excited about, I have a lot of friends from California because I grew up there as a kid. And they are consistently asking about buying a home in Detroit for $1,000. We can proudly report that you can no longer do that in Detroit. <laughs> That's right. Those days are gone. <laughs> that, yeah. Nearly two-thirds of the homes in Detroit are what's considered market sales. These are homes that have little or no distress. And that is such a positive thing because... Over the last 10 years, we have been leading in distress sales. And those distress sales are the foreclosures, the land bank transactions. And that's really, really important 
and it says that our housing market is beginning to return to a competitive state, a normalcy of a city this size. And we should all be really, really proud of that. It is really good news to hear and uh, something that we should all be proud of. But Stephen, it also makes me wonder, and I have a challenge for you right now as I pull out my <laughs> checkbook, yeah. I'm making you this offer right now. Don't look in my bank to see if I can cover it. I know people, I'm good for it. But I will offer you $1,000 for your home free and clear for Let's my home you, your home oh well you know i mean i'm i would like to get rid of my home actually <laughs> so well, you've got an offer on the table steve at least an offer i don't know if it's a good offer but well it says something about our housing first, market it's right it's the now. first offer that i've received so there's there's some honor in that i suppose uh, i'm not sure the bank would love me selling me selling you the house for a thousand dollars but uh but we can talk about it oh, you, can, you can come up from there i'm sure i mean what Anika is talking about in that clip, though, is really important here in the city. We have had such a long time of depressed values uh, among the, the the properties in the in the city, and people who um, who uh, who have invested in property losing those investments uh, over long periods of time. Uh, the neighborhood where I was born uh, on the near west side here. Uh, near Grand River and Livernoy is a great example. Uh, it was one of the first neighborhoods uh, where African Americans uh, in the in the early '60s uh, were going to be allowed to buy properties outside of. Uh, the segregated areas of the city, and a lot of black families did. Uh, by the time I was born in 1970, it was almost a majority black neighborhood. By the time I was 10, it was, and was black with home ownership. Uh, today, those houses that people paid a lot of money for uh, back in the in the late 50s and early 60s uh, are worth just a couple thousand dollars in in, in some cases. Uh, and and so the people who invested in that property lost mm. that money. There's a generation of lost black wealth uh, that that we are dealing with in the city. What Anika was talking about is the turn away from that trend. It was getting worse and worse and kind of stagnating. The numbers now say we're headed back in a different direction where uh, where values are going up and people who are investing are realizing the fruits of those investments. Uh, again, critical kind of conversation to have here in the city and on, on WDET and on Detroit Today to be able to talk about those things, to be able to explain why they're happening and how we capitalize on them to keep it going in that direction. Uh, that's the kind of work that we do here uh, on the show, and it's it's why it's worth supporting. Yeah, it's the depth of analysis, again, bringing you in the experts, talking about things happening here you can't get anywhere else, but we know you care about it. It's why you listen. It's why uh, you're here every day, every morning with us, with the trusted voice of Stephen Henderson, and we know that's worth your support. It's one of the reasons Andrew and Troy came in as our latest uh, uh uh, latest member, thank you so much. Andrew says, great local programming, which is accurate. And we're talking about the local, local housing market. Getting in with that gift of support like Andrew right now, $20 a month will make a $240 uh, investment in the station. But this time, during this hour, it actually doubles because we're matching every dollar. So if you come in at that level, not only do you get the New York Times subscription at $20 a month, but you also get uh, to know that your dollar's going further. That's a $40 a month impact because of the match happening this hour. That's why it's time to call 800-959-9338 or go online, WDET.org. And that is really one of our focus uh, areas here during Giving Tuesday is converting folks to sustained membership. We love all of our members, of course, and we're very grateful for the support that they give us. But people who give us one-time gifts are not actually the goal. What we're trying to build is a community of sustained members, people who give each month, even if it's just $10 a month, even if it's just $20 a month. Of course, we love bigger gifts as well. Uh, $100 a month gets you into that leadership circle here at WDET. But but it's really the idea of joining, joining in a long-term sense, joining in a permanent way uh, this effort to keep WDET doing the things that it does in this uh, in this community. Uh, that's why we've got gifts for the folks who are become new sustaining members here on, on 
uh, on Giving Tuesday, which means that uh, even if you've given in the past, if you haven't become a sustaining member, uh, we're going to thank you extra, extra hard for doing that today. We're going to make sure that we reward you for that decision. Uh, and, and, and again, that's reflective, I think, of the ethos here at WDET. We're not just uh, shoveling money through through an organization to, to, to make sure that uh, people get paid. What we're building is a community. It's a relationship between the folks here at the station and the folks out there in the community. Uh, that is that is key. And so uh, the people who have that opportunity, if you're not a sustaining member, today is a really, really great day to become one. It is a great day to become one. And speaking of members of the community, one of the beautiful things that we get to do is talk to people who are in the community involved with these things, housing, housing access, especially for those who are purchasing their first house or attempting to get into the city. Uh, it's this issue that comes up a lot. We've been talking about it right now. One of the people we spoke about the same time this summer we spoke with Anika Goss is Chase Cantrell, who's the founder and executive director of the Housing Assistance Nonprofit Building Community Value. We love talking to him because he has unique insights into housing. He told us what he learned as well, one of the things he learned from the report from Detroit Future City about housing in Detroit. We're moving in some neighborhoods from very little activity at all that we saw a few years ago or 10 years ago to actually beginning to see distressed properties move in the market. What that tells me, though, is a lot of these properties need a lot of work, require a lot of capital investment to, to bring them back to life. And what we're seeing, and this is consistent over the past 10 years, is that it's actually very difficult to find that capital in the Detroit market to do that work. Most home buyers don't want to do a full gut rehab, right? They're not looking for a real estate development project. They're <laughs> looking for a home that they can move in and build their lives in. So we have a supply problem in the city of Detroit. You know, we don't have enough supply of move-in ready homes for the home buyers, regardless of race. For any home buyer in the city who wants to find that home, their dream home in the city, it's just very difficult to do without actually having to put some of that work in. So it makes it more challenging. I mean, that idea that uh, if you want to buy a house in Detroit, just buy a house and move into it with your family and live there, it is still really challenging to find the inventory to do that. Uh, so many of the things that, that have happened over the last several decades here have left the the home stock in, in terrible shape. Uh, and so we've got a lot of work to do. Moving the market, uh, again, toward this idea of, of uh, sustainability, right? Just regular, I buy a house, live in it for a while, and then when I'm done, I sell it to somebody else who can move in and not have to uh, replace the plumbing or the electricity or uh, build a new HVAC system in, in, the, in the middle of it. Uh, it's still too hard to do that here uh, in Detroit. And Chase is really on the front lines of, of that with the work that he's doing at building community value. Uh, but he's also got uh, you know personal experience with this. I mean, he had a heck of a time finding a house for himself, for his, for himself to, to to live in and and uh, not have to to worry about uh, a renovation. So again, really great, great, really great subject that we were talking about uh, that day. Really great uh, depth in in terms of explaining why things are true. It's not just that we're telling people about what's happening. We're really trying to get them to, to, to think about why it's happening and think about what the solutions look like and how yeah. we get there. Yeah, and that's really important to me, right? A lot of people will tell you what they want you to think, but it's about supplying the evidence, right? Because we know you out there listening, you're very thoughtful. You just want the analysis. We'll lead you there. If it makes sense to you, it does. If it doesn't, hey, maybe it's something else. But the point is that intellectual honesty, that bringing forth that information, that data, that background, so that you have it. We know that that's something that you value here. It's one of the reasons we're getting a flurry of gifts of support right now. And I want to thank you so much. Take a moment to thank Catherine in Royal Oak, Judy in Huntington Woods, 
Timothy in Livonia, as well as Stacy in Sterling Heights. Just then, all gifts of support that are getting doubled thanks for our dollar thanks to our dollar for dollar match that's happening right now. And the way they got involved, the way you can get involved, they went online, WDET.org, <laughs> which is the best way to go. But you know, I've spent so much time here memorizing this phone number, Stephen. <laughs> I'm still gonna say it out. 800 959 9338 I could say it in my sleep. You know what I mean? I might almost give it out for people to call in. Just tell my friends, call me there. They're like, Nick, they're trying to get me for uh, two minutes. I'm like, you listen to Detroit today? You should take the two minutes to donate also. 800-959-9338 is the way to get involved and make that gift of support. And again, we're really focusing on this idea of sustaining memberships, uh, people who are really becoming members of the WDET community. We appreciate all of the gifts that folks give us, but those sustaining gifts are the are the thing that, that really define, I think, the relationship between WDET and our listeners, this back and forth, this long-term uh, connection. Uh, between us uh, is, is is important, and you don't have to you don't have to be wealthy or or just have uh, a lot of money at all to to, to do it. Ten dollars a month uh, is is a good way to to start off as a sustaining member. Uh, Twenty dollars a month. Uh, those things again are not just about the dollars that you're giving. It's about the relationship that uh, you are committing to, uh, and and helping to build here at WDET. Yeah, and Stephen, we've got much more, many more clips to get to, including ideas on how we can create more affordable housing. We have all this land. Is there ways that we can get more affordable housing on it? We have an idea behind that. Talk about development, what that could do for driving things. And the discussion of tax credits is always big, too. So what does that mean for development? When we return on Detroit Today, we are going to get to these issues. We're going to continue to say thank you to all of you listening out there as well. Keep it locked right here as Detroit Today continues. You're listening to Detroit Today on Giving Tuesday here in 2023. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and I've got Nick Austin with me. He's a co-host on Detroit Today and a producer on the show. Uh, we are talking to you about some of the work that we do here on WDET and specifically on Detroit Today each morning and uh, again at 7 p.m. Uh, talking about the way in which Detroit changes over time through development, through through home sales, through the things, the tools that we use uh, to inspire and support those things. Uh, we're highlighting those things as a way of reminding you on Giving Tuesday of the value that you get when you listen to Detroit Today each day on the station. Uh, the things that we bring to your attention the explanations that we dive into and help you think about uh, in our community. All of those things are the reason that uh, the support for uh, WDET and Detroit Today is so important. That's how we keep these things intact. That's how we keep these things on air. And Giving Tuesday is a wonderful time uh, to join that community, that giving community. We are really highlighting sustaining members today here on the program, people who give each month, even if it's just $10 a month, to be part of the community here, to, to make that commitment to WDET and Detroit Today and to keeping it all uh, on air. We're not just, it's not just a financial transaction that we're after here. We're after that kind of relationship that I think is so key to the audience here at WDET. Uh, Nick, we've been talking about a lot of different aspects of development. Uh, we want to talk next about tools yeah. of development here in the city of Detroit and the fights that we have about those tools. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so different ways of trying to think about how we can get into development. I mean, when we think of housing, one thing is uh, can technology do something? Iterative generation, AI, could that be something that maybe we rethink how we can get a better stock of affordable housing? One of the more interesting conversations we had was with Brett Crandall, who's the director of design for Three Squared Inc., an architecture firm that focuses on technology to build mixed-use spaces. He spoke about a new idea they have for generative housing and how that might be a solution to ramping up affordable housing. 
We've been working on a totally new product that is using generative design. And what we're doing is we're combining all of those expensive portions of a house into a core. And a core can be manufactured at scale. And you take this core that has your kitchen, bathrooms, your staircase, and all of your mechanical units all into this one core, and you replicate that over multiple homes. And this core can be placed in a number of envelope systems, and we can have unique-looking houses that are all built using the same technologies, but each one is unique to its placement on the lot, given the context. Because what we want to avoid is oftentimes when you get into affordable housing, that scale of economy Mm -hmm. overrides the whole conversation. And so it's just cookie cutters. We've all seen those neighborhoods where it's just rows and rows of identical homes. And, you know, the housing that we that we as designers and architects put into the world has a huge impact on the urban fabric. And that's the last thing that we want to do to Detroit or the surrounding area is just have these cookie cutter homes, soldiers in a row. We we really want to ensure that each one of these homes is designed for its unique context. It's an interesting idea, Stephen. So generative housing, what do you think? Maybe thinking outside the box for getting our stock up. So, so one of the real challenges we have in the city is with affordable housing, and there not being enough of it. Mm. We have all of this oversupply of really bad housing and not up-to-code housing. Uh, but, but, of course, affordable housing is supposed to be decent decent housing for people who don't have a lot of money. And, you know, there are so many challenges with it in terms of financing it, sustaining it, making sure that there's enough investment in it. But the the, the great thing about this conversation with Brett Crandall was that he wanted to add another dimension to that conversation, which is what does this housing look like? How does it feel? How does it fit into the physical environment and community here in the in the city when you build it that is desperately important yeah. uh, this idea that um, first of all affordable housing should look uh, as as good as it can it should incorporate the best of what we think of when we think of design not just in terms of architecture but also in terms of how we build communities he was talking about when you see affordable housing that is just cookie cutter that's you know one house after another that's identical to the rest that it actually does damage to the goal that you're seeking which is to make sure that people have uh, decent, affordable places to live. I th- it's one of my favorite conversations of the year. It was a great conversation. We only can have it, though, because of your support. Stephen, we've gotten eight gifts so far this hour. And as we're hitting the home stretch of our conversation, have more clips going for you. The challenge is out to you listening right now. Let's get eight more because we know there's always that flurry that comes That's in right. towards the end. <laughs> and we thank so much those of you that have already provided your support. Stacy, Timothy, Judy, Catherine, Andrew, Deborah. Mark, Hugh, we want you listening right now to join. Make that gift of support for Giving Tuesday, 800-959-9338, online at WDET.org. You know, community is very important, but also because it helps give us a talent base for some of these development projects that we've been getting into. We discussed the riverfront, but there's also businesses that are coming in, including the old Michigan Central, right? Everybody's talking about what's happening with the old train station. Uh, We wanted to get to the bottom of it. So we got one of the sources and we said, hey, let's just go to who's doing the thing there with Ford. And we spoke to Josh Syrafman, who gave us the lowdown on what's happening in the latest over at Michigan Central. We are right in both Court Town and Southwest Detroit. Mm-hmm. And so we try to be very active in not just being good neighbors, but actually engaging directly with all of our neighbors. But we also think about community in additional layers. So for example, as much as building an ecosystem of companies is part of our mandate, so is making sure that jobs that they create and the skills that can be exposed by the work they're doing are used to benefit all Detroiters. We wanna make sure we build a very strong pipeline to match companies with individuals, but also Essentially, what's the work that's happening at Michigan Central is a glimpse into the future and tells us what skills are going to be needed increasingly. And so we think we can develop training programs, training curriculum that can both happen on site, but with partners, we can scale and really impact a huge segment of Detroiters as they prepare for the future jobs. 
It's one of the things that people have been excited about happening over there as they turn into what they call a mobility company, growth investment in electric vehicles in the automotive sector. And they also talk about their hope with things like the new lab uh, that was created over there to bring jobs and have it be kind of like a think tank area for others outside to become a part of. Stephen, I know this is something we talk about development, getting minds in here, developing communities. Where do you think an idea like the Michigan Central fits into that? I think it I think it fits right into the bigger conversation that we're having about what is the future here in Detroit. Uh, Michigan Central went empty when I was 17 years old. The idea that it will reopen when I am in my mid 50s uh, is again one of these remarkable narratives here in the city of Detroit and it's not just about redoing the building. I mean that conversation that we had with Josh Syrefman really emphasized the things that they are trying to do by bringing that back to life. There was another related conversation uh, to this that we had during the year as well, and I won't remember the young man's name, but this idea of the Black Tech Saturday that's taking place at... Johnny Turnage. Johnny Turnage, that's, that's right. right. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, um, I just I just ran into him like oh. two weeks ago, so it's, I don't have a good excuse for not remembering his name. I, um, I was going to use that <laughs> clip, but we used it the last oh, show. So that's right, great, we but did. Yeah. But, but it, it, you know, this is somebody who is gathering young African-Americans each week at this site, uh, part of the Michigan Central site, just to sit around and talk about tech, to talk about uh, internet, and to talk about development, and to talk about all of these things uh, that, that they're interested in and that help shape their work. Uh, the idea that that's happening at Michigan Central every Saturday. Somebody who attends was telling me, that they've got more than 100 people now showing up for this every Saturday on this site. Uh, again, it's not just about redoing the building. It's about linking that with the energy that exists in the city to move things forward, to do things differently, to give people more opportunity. Uh, and, and again, that conversation with Josh, Josh Syrofman really emphasized that that's what they're after here. It's not just about a building. It's yeah. not just about architecture, which they, of course, spent uh, an incredible amount of money on. It is about planting this in the middle of something that it catches uh, the momentum for and pushes us forward. Yeah, yeah. And one of the reasons, though, that they're able to do that also, speaking of that investment, and we love the incubation of minds and really love that Black Tech uh, Detroit uh, that you were talking about earlier. They're able to do it, though. One of the reasons they came in, tax credits. And this is the elephant that's always in the room with a lot of these development projects. Where's the line? Should we be using tax credits and uh, subsidies to get these businesses in? Or if it's such a great deal, why aren't they just doing it on their own? It's a debate that comes up all the time. That's why we had James Tatum in to give us his expertise and his opinion and tell us what his thoughts are on tax credits. Mayors and city councils don't have the same powers and responsibilities as, say, the president or the chairman of the Federal Reserve, and so they can't affect economic conditions in the same broad way. And so mainly their efforts are directed toward real estate development. They use tax abatements to reduce the differential between their cities and maybe nearby jurisdictions or jurisdictions across the country that maybe can offer what you could call a fair deal between the services that are offered and a tax rate that's levied. So if I'm a taxpayer in Detroit, which of course I am in real life, um, why shouldn't I see this as a transference of capital from me to developers who have a lot more money than I do and who have not really had occasion to, to invest in the city for a really long time in the way that people who have been here for a long time have. Is that the wrong way to think about these things? I don't know that it is. It's more so the question of once you look at it that way, is it worth it? You know, it's sometimes hard to capture what the ultimate effect of these tax abatements are. And I know this certainly annoys people when you have an expert on and they say, well, it depends, but it does depend on the context and it does depend on whether people think it's worth it. Because Part of what you want is not only for the project itself to do well, but you want for there to be positive spillover effects that, you know, somebody who comes down to District Detroit, for example, they go to a Lions game, but then maybe they eat out nearby as well. 
It's a concept that we've heard about a lot. And again, that was James Tatum, the director of the Detroit Bureau of the Citizens Research Council. What I love about that clip, Stephen, though, is that you're right in there asking the question on everybody's mind in an incisive way to get at the heart of the issue here. Is it worth it? That's what James said is the, is the central question. And we've been struggling with that question for a long time <laughs> here in Detroit. Uh, you know, you, you can go back to the era of Coleman Young as mayor here in Detroit and find the same arguments about the way in which we try to inspire development and to, to inspire investment in, in Detroit. And, you know, he always said that he was doing what was necessary to get people to do it. He didn't like it either, mm. but uh, th- there wasn't another way to get folks to, to to make these kinds of investments possible. I think there's another question that um, that that gets lost in this discussion sometimes as well, which is how do you prove it's worth it? Right? Uh, we often say, "Well, this will this will achieve X, Y, and Z if we give these tax credits to this developer who's going to big build this thing." Uh, we don't often go back and say, "Okay, well, here's what actually happened," right. and it turns out that it was worth it. I mean, we've got this many multiples of of activity on the, on the back end of it, or to say it wasn't worth it. We didn't get what we expected. I think one of the, the grow-up moments for Detroit and its governance, uh, as we see more of this investment take place, is that ability to, to, to track all of this and to be more uh, accountability minded that that we're not just going to give you money and and let you do what you want we're going to give you money and hold your feet to the fire that you do what you said you were going to do. Yeah, and you know, we've had conversations about that also, and in a future show, I guess, we will get into some of those other discussions because the discussion is always happening here on Detroit Today, and it's happening because of you. That's why I want to thank Gail in Plymouth, as well as Allison in Dearborn, two of that final six we're looking for as we close out this edition of Detroit Today here on Giving Tuesday only happens because of you. And thank you so much for all of you that have given and who listen and contribute and help us have these deep conversations because it's your gifts of support. Like Nancy, who just gave saying, Connor Anderson's mom, we love you, Connor, Uh, listening every day from the UP, (laughs) go Marquette, way up there. They care about Detroit too. Detroit matters to Michigan. Michigan matters to Detroit. It's symbiotic. I love it. I love hanging out here with you as well, Stephen Henderson. That's why it's time to make that gift of support by calling 800 or going online at WDET.org. And again, we're really emphasizing sustaining members. I love this note about Catherine and Royal Oak who converted her one-time annual gift to a new sustaining membership. And I also love, look, the swag. That's one of my favorite things oh, yeah, about Fundraiser. Swag. And Catherine chose that WDET zip tote. I got one of those mm. the last time we had a fundraiser, and I am using it all the time. So, Catherine, I know... You will enjoy that, and I know, of course, you will get great value out of the contribution that you're making to us here at WDET, but also to uh, the, the the community, the, the joining that community that uh, now each month you are helping to sustain. So uh, thank you very much to Catherine. Today's episode of Detroit Today was produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Nate Bender. Our assistant producer is Maddie Boyer. Editing and mixing is by Connor Anderson. Our music is by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. Our podcast manager is David Lyons, and our program director is Adam Fox. Detroit Today is a production of WDET Public Radio. If you love the conversations we have on Detroit Today, consider donating to WDET, the public radio station in Detroit that we call home. If you want to be a part of the conversation and call in, you can listen live every day on WDET.org or on the WDET mobile app. Or if you live in Southeast Michigan and still love listening to good old-fashioned radio like me, tune in to 1019 FN.